0: Is our and shall be in this podcast, we're looking at the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark chapter 8. Some say that this miraculous feeding of 4,000 is just a retelling of the feeding of the 5,000. And Mark and his sources simply made a few mistakes in the retelling. But those who agree with Jesus that the scriptures cannot be broken, as Jesus says in John 10, that the Bible doesn't contain mistakes, and those who agree with Jesus' apostle Paul that all scripture is God-breathed, as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, that the Bible is the very words of god they recognize that these are two distinct events. There are many differences beyond the number of people fed. The locations are different. The time frame is different. The number of baskets of leftovers is different. Besides all that, Jesus himself, in the verses before us today, says he fed people miraculously on these two distinct occasions. Why would Jesus miraculously feed thousands of people on two different times? Well, the easiest, obvious answer is, why not? But there may be another reason. The feeding of the 5,000 was in Jewish territory. The feeding of the 4,000 is in Gentile territory. These people in Mark 8 are not Israelites. Is Jesus teaching us here that his compassion is for all people? And that the spiritual bread he offers, which is his very self, is for both Jew and Gentile? That would seem to be the case. Chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus feeds 4,000. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. Again, there is a huge crowd, numbering in the thousands, that have gathered to see and hear Jesus. Some, I imagine, hope to see a miracle. Some are sick and suffering. Some are looking to Jesus as the Messiah, and some, no doubt, are there to criticize Whatever their reasons for coming out, they had remained in this remote wilderness area for three full days. Some may have planned to spend a day and brought a little lunch to tide them over, but it seems no one had planned on Jesus being so captivating that they would stay for three full days. Now they are famished without food and many without the strength to walk back home. The old and the weak the mothers carrying young children may collapse on the long walk home, maybe even die. Jesus looks to his disciples for a solution. Verse 4. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. Imagine the look on the disciples' faces as if to say, We got nothing, Jesus. Seven loaves. Remember that these were not like our loaves of bread, but what we would call rolls. Seven loaves isn't going to get it done. There are times when we look at the task the Lord calls us to do, and we feel like these disciples standing there with a few rolls of bread before a starving multitude. Jesus I don't have enough. What do we do then? We do what these disciples did. We say, This one is in your hands, Jesus. Verse 6. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. Jesus gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmunutha, Did the disciples begin to smile as Jesus told the crowd to sit down, knowing what was coming? This was deja vu all over again. As always, Jesus gave thanks for the food. Daniel Deutschlander points out that, though we pray, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. He is really the host, providing every bite of our food, just as he did on this day. Deutschlander also points out that Jesus could have rained down bread from the sky, the way he did at the time of Moses with the manna when the Israelites were in the wilderness. But instead, Jesus chose to use his disciples to distribute the food. He chose to need them, just as he still chooses to use us in our various vocations to distribute his good gifts. Mark uses a different word here for basketfuls than he used back in chapter 6. There the word was a, a lunch pail-sized basket. Here it is hamper-sized. This was a huge amount of leftovers. Verse 11, Jesus refuses to give a sign. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Their request was not sincere. They had seen all kinds of signs, including this feeding of the 4,000, More than the signs, Jesus had fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And still, they would not believe. No sign can ever appropriately be given. Instead, one must believe Jesus' words. Verse 14, fermented dough and the disciples' lack of understanding. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The disciples discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Jesus warns his disciples about false teaching. The Pharisees taught, We can earn heaven by our good behavior. The friends of Herod, the Sadducees taught, Reject the supernatural. Your human reason is more reliable than the scriptures. Jesus describes false teaching as yeast, leaven, because like yeast, which works its way through a loaf of bread, false teaching works its way through our thinking and leads to all sorts of confusion and misunderstanding. That's why the Bible has so many warnings. Hold to the truth of God's word. Watch out for false teachers. Even a little yeast, a little false, false teaching can rob a person of the saving gospel. The disciples, however, are hung up on the fact that no one remembered to bring lunch, and now they have one role between all of them. Verse 17 Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes, but fail to see, and ears, but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? They had picked up 12 baskets of leftovers when Jesus fed the 5,000. Seven hamper-sized baskets when he fed the 4,000. Not having any food should not have been a concern. Jesus was with them. When we are anxious about our health, about our finances, about what the future holds, Jesus must ask of us, Do you still not understand? I'm with you. I love you. You are mine. We ought to be less concerned with daily bread and more concerned with false teaching, which attacks our faith. Verse 22, gaining sight in stages. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When Jesus had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? The man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Why does Jesus lead the blind man outside the village? Maybe so they would not be disturbed by the crowds. Why spit on the man's eyes? That seems kind of disgusting. Remember that in Jesus' day, people thought spit had healing properties. Again, maybe this is how Jesus is letting the man know he is going to heal him. And why doesn't Jesus heal the man all at once? First, this man could see, but it was blurry. People looked like trees. Only after Jesus placed his hands on the man's a second time was his vision completely restored. Why does Jesus heal him in stages? I don't know. But I know this sometimes we need to learn to trust God's timing. Jesus doesn't always instantly deliver us from our afflictions, we grow impatient. When he works for our good and according to his will in stages. We want to be healed now. We want our our relationship issue fixed now. But in his word, we learn to trust this Savior and his timing. This Savior who has showed such amazing love for us at the cross. Finally, why does Jesus tell him, don't go into the village? Maybe all the attention this formerly blind man would have received in that village wasn't what he needed right now. Maybe he needed some quiet time to think, Who is this Jesus? What else has he done for me? We have now come to the turning point in Mark's gospel, and to the critical question. You Remember at the outset of, of our study on Mark, we, we said Mark was leading us to answer this question, Who is Jesus? Jesus now asked his disciples to answer that crucial question. Verse 27 Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, Jesus asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Jesus' first question was preliminary. Who do people say I am? And the disciples rattled off the popular answers of the day. The answers had one thing in common. Jesus was a teacher, nothing more. That answer was incorrect. So Jesus proceeds to the second question, verse 29. But what about you, he asked them. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. They had seen the miracles. They had heard the demons shriek as they came out. They heard Jesus claim the authority to forgive sins. They saw him hush the violent storm on the sea with simply a word. The time had come for a test. Had they come to the conviction about who he was? They had, and Peter spoke for them all. You are the Messiah, the Christ. What did Peter mean? The word Messiah and the word Christ mean the Anointed One. It was the title of the Promised One from God. But what was their understanding of the Anointed One and of what He would do? Well, that's our podcast next week. Please join us then. In the meantime, if you find these podcasts helpful, or if you have suggestions for improvement, Please email me at pastor underscore line westra at beautiful savior dot com, or text me at five one three six zero zero nine five six eight. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all.